Hello, welcome to Spaceman Pod. I'm Ian Edmund. And I'm Mark Lassels. And today we have got the last part of our interview with Mark Refoy, talking about the work he's done since leaving Spiritualized, although there's a little bit of Spiritualized callback at the very beginning of it. It's a really interesting part, I think, uh, obviously mostly about his work with Slipstream. It also goes into detail about what he did with Pet Shop Boys, which has been mentioned mm -hmm. in a couple of the previous parts of the interview, but uh, it's great to hear a bit more detail about that. So without any further ado, let's get straight on with that. Welcome back again to Mark Riffoy. We've had um, wonderful chats so far about pre-Spaceman 3 bands in Northampton, about time in Spaceman 3, time in Spiritualized with fantastic talk about Pure Phase last time. And we've got lots of stuff that we can still talk about because of all the things that, that Mark has been releasing in the years since leaving Spiritualized. Just before we get back into those, a couple of remaining uh, Spiritualized related stories that, that we didn't really talk about last time well you you were talking about the guitar that you were playing us last time being one that you played on pure phase and that you call, associate that as your pure phase guitar but you had a different one for laser guided melodies which um i gather is no longer with you uh yeah that would be my uh gretch country gent um which i bought with the, the first bit of money that we had in spiritualized uh which wasn't much uh, it was a couple of grand or something but to me, it was like a fortune. And the first thing I did was uh, go to Birmingham and I'd always promised myself I'd get a top-notch guitar. And I'd always loved Gretsch's. I got, yeah, I got this Gretsch Country Gen 1963, the same model that, that uh, George Harrison had in the Beatles in the same year, I think. Yeah, I used that on Laser Guided Melodies as well as my uh, Telecaster, uh, my Epiphone Casino. There was a, a gig that we did in Amsterdam. It was like a one-off gig. At the Mel Melkveg, I think it was. Before the gig, we went out and sampled the delights of the city, as you do in Amsterdam. And uh, I got back stupidly late in the morning, about three or four o'clock, to the hotel. And uh, I was woken up three or four hours later by one of the roadies who was just shaking me, saying, Mark, Mark, get up, get up, get up. The guitars have been stolen from the van. And I was in a complete daze. Uh, and I went downstairs. And uh, he'd said originally that uh, Jason's guitars had been nicked. And I must admit, inside I was thinking, oh, oh that's bad news, but I'm glad they're not mine that's been nicked. <laughs> but anyway, we got to the van and the, uh, for some reason, they parked the van outside the hotel and they'd left all the kit in the van. I don't know to this day why, why that happened, but you could see that the van had been broken into and uh, he looked into the back and uh, he came out and he went, Oh no, it's, it's not Jason's guitars, Mark, it's yours. Uh, oh my God. Oh. And uh, they'd nicked, as well as my guitars, they'd nicked some of Johnny's cymbals as well. Yeah, my Gretsch and my Epiphone had been nicked, but luckily they didn't nick the Telecaster. So I was just in a complete hungover state of shock. <laughs> oh, awful. So yeah, I always associate my uh, Gretsch with laser guided melodies. And then with the insurance money of the stolen Gretsch and Epiphone, I got my uh, Fender Jaguar. So that's why I associate it with, you know, pure phase. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know why I got a Fender Jaguar. Um, I bought it in Coventry and uh, I think Kate was saying how much she liked Fender Jaguars. And that kind of put the idea in my head. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, Jaguars. I never really thought about them. Mm. Seemed to work out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's the one that you've had restored recently, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When I 
got my Fender Jaguar, it was obvious from the get-go that uh, it had been um, like resprayed and tampered with in the past, but not in a good way. It, it wasn't a good job. I, I, I lived with that for years, you know, uh, with, with that guitar. A lot of people suggested how much they liked the battered sort of like finish on it. But it wasn't battered in a in a in a real sort of a genuine like way that some people have been playing it for over the years. It was more like mis misuse and uh, not very good re restorations, etc. So I just thought I'm going to take it back to the to to the beginning and get it completely done up. So I, I saw this program on TV where this guy restored uh, the bass guitar of Hot Chocolate, and uh, I thought, ah, that looks really good. So. Um, I contacted him and yeah, he, he completely restored it, got it back to his original finish. And um, yeah, I thought he did a great job. Well, but, for any equipment heads, he's uh, done a video on YouTube about restoring that guitar for you. Yeah, so I'll put a link to that yeah. so uh, people yeah, can sure. enjoy it. Um, there's another story I gather uh, about uh, the trappings of fame when you were uh, one day in a pub in Northampton. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it was a place called the white elephant and, uh, I don't know whether this was when I was in Spiritualized or sometime out. I think it was sometime after I'd left, not that long after. There were these two girls. That, I was waiting at the bar and there were these two girls chatting away and I got wind of their conversation and I heard them say, uh, one of them was going, oh, which, which one do you fancy most? Is it Jason or Mark? And I was thinking, wow, they must be talking about us. <laughs> and I got nearer. And uh, I caught one of their eyes and, uh, and she said, uh, oh, I, you know, I, I like them both. Uh, I can't remember whether she said she preferred Jason or Mark, but she looked straight at me and there wasn't a flicker of recognition. And I just thought, you know, what am I talking about? And all of a sudden uh, they, they were looking at this video jukebox and uh, it was Take That. And the penny drops, it was like, oh, there's obviously two members of Take That called Jason and Mark. <laughs> They're obviously talking about them. <laughs> Classic. Oh, gosh. So, so near. <laughs> well, let's get back on to uh, your solo things. We'd started talking about the first uh, Slipstream album last time because of course there's a bit of crossover from from the end of, of spiritualized but um that's an interesting sounding album you got production on there from from zion train i imagine i gather that they um encourage you to do a few different things with uh, with some of the songs that you already had for that uh yeah they, they were very keen to um about my cover of um Craftworks computer love well that's this sort of crazy glam rocker at the end yeah. isn't it uh, yeah they uh well, they, they were suggested by uh, a guy called Chris who worked at uh, Zion Train at, at Shea and he knew Zion Train and, and he said, uh, we think we should get you in the studio with them because they, they're like this reggae dub collective, which um, they might be able to get a good sound for you, you know, producing the studio. So uh, I thought, yeah, that's, that sounds like a good idea. So um, I met up with them in London and um, they seemed like a great bunch of people. And uh, we got to the studio and we had to do it in uh, what they call downtime, which is uh, when it wasn't, it was being used at night. So we would work all the way through the night from about, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night until uh, nine in the morning or something like that for a week, a solid week. Well, we'd get to the studio and um, they would, they would cleanse the atmosphere with old dub reggae, which was, I thought was a great idea. 
So while we were setting up stuff and just getting into the studio, they would be playing all this like King Tubby and whatever, you know, brilliant. Mm. And then um, I'd done this version of a computer love, which was, uh, uh, it was a guitar version of Craftworks computer love. And uh, I'd, stuck very sort of like faithfully to the original arrangement but just played it all on guitars with a drum machine in the background and um and they were saying yeah yeah it's all very pretty and everything but uh yeah let's do it with a gary glitter stomping beat in the background and i initially i thought i don't know about that but then we tried it because we were just playing live in the studio and it worked really well at one point he said um yeah, there's this, there's this record uh, by a group called Lieutenant Pigeon called Mouldy Old Doe. And the B-side is this song called The Villain. And my ears just pricked up because I went, I know, I know that. My parents bought me that in about 1972 or something like that. And I loved The Villain. It was just like this, uh, uh, it was almost like weird experimental uh, kraut rock. You wouldn't have expected that from this group, Lieutenant Pigeon, because it was this novelty Hit. I don't know if you know it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's great, but it's it was like a novelty hit of the time. Uh, very strange record, but um, this B side, the villain, was great, and it had the same um, sort of like proto stomp of like you know clan stomp sort of yeah. thing, uh, which we incorporated in our version of uh, Computer Love. It just worked. No, it's it's unlike anything else that you've got on on that album. But it does it. It works. It works really well. You've got um, a, a bit of history with Craftwork, really, haven't you? In terms of uh, when you first saw them. Oh yeah, when I first saw them, um, that was forty years ago. Coming up to almost exactly forty years ago, it was the last days of June, uh, maybe even early July. A mate of mine had. Uh, it was that John Lucci Bello guy. I, I was in the syndromes with him, and um, he had some spare tickets for uh, Craftwork. And he said, would I want to come along? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, why not? I knew nothing about them except I was aware of, of Autobahn and, uh, and I knew that they were German guys who just played electronic music. That was all I knew about them. And uh, four of us went down on the train to Hammersmith Palais. And um, on the way down, uh, we were chatting about, you know, the forthcoming gig. And uh, one of the guys was, was not a fan of electronic music. And he said that, he had a ticket to see Bob Dylan at the, on the same day, night rather, at Earl's Court. And he was, yeah, he was a big, long-haired hippie guy. And he, he was saying, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know why I'm going to this gig. I, sh I should be going to see Bob Dylan at Earl's Court. And these other guys were saying, oh, no, no, crap, great. You know, you made the right decision. Anyway, got to Hammersmith Power. And um, I was thinking also that my mum had danced there with Danny Blanchflower, the footballer. <laughs> You know, about 30 or 40 years previously. <laughs> Actually, no, not that long. It would have been about about 20, maybe. Anyway, that that was that was in my mind. And also uh, The Clash, you know, White Man and Hamster Palais, which was The Clash, one of my favourite bands, you know, to this day they are. So there was all these thoughts going around my head and there was no support band and uh, there were these curtains across the stage so you couldn't see anything. And uh, then you became aware of this um, very quiet electronic music started playing in the background, almost ambient. I wasn't aware of that word at the time, but it was like ambient music. And then this, uh, after a while, this guttural German voice intoned over the PA. I can't remember what they said because it was all in German, but it was like something along the lines of ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from Dusseldorf, Germany. 
craft deck or whatever. Then uh, these two guys, which unexpectedly, these two bearded roadies drew the, drew the curtains aside. And then there was this fantastic stage presentation, four massive video screens with each member of Craftwork in front of uh, like keyboards and computers or whatever. That was it. They were just absolutely phenomenal. It was the Computer World Tour. Uh-huh. So they basically did the whole of that album. But I didn't, know, I didn't know any of the stuff, but the whole spectacle and the sound of it just completely blew me away. Um, Sometimes it's just a setup you need, isn't it? It doesn't matter yeah. how familiar you are. I mean, I remember the first time I saw another one of your favourites, um, uh, New Order. Uh, which was at the Reading Festival 1989, the same day, in fact, that uh, you played earlier on with Spaceman 3. I, I remember walking away from that. Yeah. Me and Johnny and Jason and Kate, and I could hear New Order come on stage. And I heard Bernard say, uh, yeah, we've seen, all you, we've seen all you Mission fans all day. Picking <laughs> <boxes."> <laughs> and I remember thinking, fuck, I want to stay and watch it. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you, it was absolutely amazing. One of the best things I'd ever yeah. seen. And I did, similarly to you with Craftwork, I didn't really know that much New Order at the time, um, yeah. but it really didn't matter from the moment it was on. It was fantastic. Uh, I, I'll uh, chip in my New Order tale. I, I saw New Order at Glastonbury in 87 uh, without, I had Blue Monday, as most people did, and I had no idea what they were going to be like. And I was perhaps even going to go and see some of the other stages. I said, no, 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 you should, you need to watch this. And it was, again, I had a similar experience. And I remember after about the fifth song thinking, I haven't recognised a single piece of music. Every single thing has been incredible. The law of averages says that they're going to play something I won't like. And they didn't. The entire thing was just completely mind-blowing. Wow. They were fantastic. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Long time ago. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I first saw them at the Roadmender and, um, in '81. And uh, they they were just we we didn't know them we we knew that they were like ex members of Joy Division that's why we went but we didn't know the names of them or anything like that and the only one we recognised was um, Bookie because he had the beard and he he was like an old man it's like wow oh yeah that's that guy oh and they've got a girl on keyboards as well they they just looked and sounded utterly out of this world they were they were just mega. Well, going back to your, your first Slipstream album, uh, I mean, the Computer Love is really the exception on there, isn't it? The rest of it, um, I think it sets the tone for a lot of what will follow with your work in that there are definite links to some of the things that were going on in Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized, but it doesn't sound like it. it yeah, you're, you're not trying to reproduce this, the same sound, but there yeah. are things which are informed by, I suppose, that simplicity in, in yeah. some of the songs. Yeah. Um, and, and you managed to put your own stamp on it, I think, uh, pretty early. I mean, there are things which are a little more in that, that I suppose, Riverside and, and yeah. the sense around and, and the like. Uh, and I said, but, the, but there's also getting some some pacier, slightly rockier stuff on there. And that yeah. develops a bit more on your second album on um, Be Groovy or Leave. Now, that's a lot more varied. Is that a deliberate attempt to try and do a, a few different styles? I, I, th- I think um, Be Groovy or Leave was, I, was st- I still had all my Porter Studio cassette demos, which I'd had for years. And Be Groovy or Leave is like, it, it would have sounded more like the first album if Zion Trainer produced it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went to Woodbine Studios with, uh, to, get, to get John Rivers to record it and 
in essence, produce it and arrange it. And that has very much got his sort of uh, stamp on it. Uh, it's, it's more conventional sounding than, uh, mm. than the first album. And it's, I suppose it's more sort of songwriter-y. I mean, I was listening to uh, lots of Brian Wilson at the time, a big star, and always the Beatles. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you say about it having a more conventional producer feel, but there's, there's a good um, mix of, of different things on there from, um, I mean, the one that Shay chose as, as the single, Madeline, I suppose, is the more the most droney thing on it, but there's um, mm. poppy type things like your, yeah. your, your opener in, in, in yeah. Dancing Mood and more of the sorts of things we've associated you with your um, guitar phrases and, mm. and picking out on, on something like Scars, which I gather got some attention from uh, another well-known oh, guitarist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, um, I, t- I spoke to you about meeting Johnny Marr, didn't I? You saw, told us about when you met him after yeah. um, that Pet Shop Voice gig, yeah. yeah. And um, I said, uh, you know, would you mind if I sent you some, you know, Slipstream stuff? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I sent him, you know, the first album and Be Groove Your Leave and uh, and Side Effects, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I pretty much forgot that I'd sent him this stuff. And uh, then we were, I was at a party, it was Neil Tennant's part, bir- 50th birthday party um, a couple of years later. And Johnny Marr was there and, uh, and Pete Gleddle knows, knows Johnny from working with Pet Shop Boys and Pete had mixed my stuff. And, uh, and Pete sort of went, oh, come out here, Mark, come over here, say hello to Johnny. So I, I thought, oh, God, you know, this is a bit awkward. I just went over and I said, uh, all right, mate. And he said, uh, yeah, all right, how's it going? I said, yeah, yeah, not too bad. And he said, uh, yeah, I really like one of your songs that you sent me. And I went, ah, oh, great, thanks. And he said, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it kind of goes like, da, 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 da. And I went, oh, I don't know about that. Um, I don't recognise that. And he, and, he, and he went, is it called Scars? And I went, oh, yeah, the one that goes... Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of covering it, but I might change the lyrics. And I went, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> Go ahead. Do what you like. Do, do what you like. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether he ever did. I've, I've never met him since, so... Uh, not that I'm aware of, but oh, it's nice that the uh, the idea was there. It took an least. interest anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talked about having also sent him um, side effects. I mean, Shay were putting out quite a lot of uh, singles. Yeah. Um, and it's a good collection of, of all of those things and a few other little rarities. I hadn't listened to it. I've got to confess to you, I hadn't listened to it for quite a while until uh, we were getting ready for this. And uh, I was uh, happy. I remember going to see you in 99, I think, upstairs at the garage. And so I know, okay, that's a few years after this was out. But still at that point, I think you had only had your two regular albums in this collection. So I was hoping that might. And uh, I remember it being a really good gig. I did enjoy that a lot. But I was always disappointed that I never got to hear um, Up in Heaven live because I thought, surely that's... uh, uh, a shoe in for a, a, a rocking interlude there. Yeah. We we used to do that live a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know why we didn't. Why didn't we do it that night? <laughs> but that was because that was a, a one of two seven inches that were released at the same time. Mm. Right? And was yeah. it deliberately selected to be such a contrast because you've got Up in Heaven, which is you know yeah. very full on rocker, but but Comebacks a a different atmosphere to it. Yeah, uh, Comeback actually 
I kind of appropriated the riff of Feels Like Going Home. Down, 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 down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I used that in Come Back, but, you know, it's a different song, obviously. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. There's some serious guitar on that on that track. You really, really go for it on the wah-wah. That, that, that wasn't planned. We just, we, we just didn't know when to end the song. Um, and we were doing it live in, in, in Woodbine, in Leamington Spa, uh, with John Rivers. And I think he might have said, you know, do it again, do it again. So that was one of the takes of the song. That's just the way it came out. And uh, you find a really big sound in it. I think it sounds great. Yeah, he really did a great job on that. And that was the version that uh, I would have to transcribe that bit of guitaring at the end and memorise it because I didn't plan it, you know. And that's how we used to do it live. It's got a lovely woozy effect on some of the the guitar, whether it's just the bending of the notes or something. But it gives it a, a yeah. really nice atmosphere in there. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was it's the wire and the uh, the fuzz and the uh, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a little more from that original era, but it, it's it's not long after those first couple of albums and the compilation that that Slipstream sort of gets gets put on hold really for a while, and there are other things going on. I mean, you've talked to us already today and a few times previously about um, your time in Pet Shop Boys, but for anyone who's, who's not familiar with that, uh, how did it all come about in the first place? I had been introduced to Vanessa and Andy, for, who used to be in ultra, a band called Ultrasound. Uh, now, I, I was aware of Ultrasound, but I'd never heard them, uh, but I knew they'd got a lot of press attention. And, and the, guy, the guy who introduced us was a, a guy called Tony Tomlin, who was uh, a Northampton-based musician, but has subsequently moved to Bristol. And I think he was living in Bristol when um, he introduced me to Vanessa and Andy. And uh, Tony, incidentally, is now behind uh, Cuts. I don't know if you've heard of C-U-T-S, Cuts. Mm. Um, uh, They do do a lot of soundtrack music and stuff like that. Anyway, Tony introduced me to Andy and Vanessa and... um, we started this band, uh, which Tony eventually didn't want to be a part of. So it was whittled down to me and Vanessa and Andy. And uh, we called ourselves the Sunshine Valley Dance Band, which was a bit of a joke name, really. And um, Vanessa was really friendly, and probably still is, with uh, Bic, Bic Hayes, who was in um, Levitation, mm-hmm. sorry, right. uh, who we had toured with in Spiritual <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, Bick came to see us when we did a couple of gigs and uh, he was a good guy and, we, you know, I remembered him, he remembered me. And one day I, I got home from work and uh, there was a message on my answer phone. This would have been the end of 2000, sorry, 2001. And uh, I didn't have, a, I don't think I had a mobile phone. There was a message on my answer phone from Vanessa saying, uh, oh, Mark, do you fancy playing in Pet Shop Boys? Give me a ring. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> So I called her and uh, uh, she said that um, Bic had been on the phone to her asking her if the other ultrasound guitarist, who I think was called Richard, would be interested in playing guitars in Pet Shop Boys. And uh, Vanessa said, uh, well, I don't know about Richard, but Mark definitely will. And Bic said, oh, I didn't think of asking Mark. Oh, yeah, will you ask him for me? So Vanessa then asked me in that answer phone message and uh so i called her back up and she said she explained all that and uh the reason why bit was asking me was because he was managed by the same management who were managing 
Pet Shop Boys at the time. So they asked him if he wanted to play in Pet Shop Boys on this forthcoming tour that was going to promote uh, the release album that they put out subsequently in 2002. And um, he, uh, you know, I, I, I asked Vanessa to ask me, so I, I called Vanessa. She put me in touch with Bic, uh, who then put me in touch with their management and arranged a meeting with me and um, me and Chris. And that's how it transpired, you know. What's it like auditioning for them? What were they looking out for? Uh, I, I didn't audition. I, 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 went to, I went to meet them uh, in this office in King's Cross. I was met by their manager at the time called uh, this, this lady called Mitch. And uh, she was this uh, very energetic Australian uh, girl who uh, was full of like, you know, enthusiastic comments and great person. And uh, she, she met me and she, and she introduced me to all these other people in the office who I didn't, who I didn't know. And she said, uh, this is Mark. He, he's going to be playing with us on the next tour. And I thought, bloody hell, I haven't even met them yet. And she's saying that I'm going to be playing with them. And uh, she said, uh, oh, the boys are just in an interview at the moment. So just, just wait here and uh, then you'll see them after this interview. And I thought, uh, I could hear Neil speaking and uh, and everybody knows what Neil Tennant sounds like. And I thought, oh yeah, that's Neil, Neil's voice. And I thought, oh yeah, there's another guy, Chris, but I won't recognise him because nobody knows what he looks like. But that's part of his stage persona that you don't know what he looks like. And uh, anyway, their, their interview finished and uh, and I was introduced to them. I went into this room and I saw Chris and I thought, oh God, yeah, of course I recognise him. That's, that's Chris Lowe. It's funny, he's, he's one of those people who... Uh, you think you won't recognise, but you do when you see him. It's a very strange, a weird aspect of celebrity status, I suppose. The celebrity that you think you don't recognise, but you do. <laughs> that was a, a few years you were either touring with them and I, you did a, a bit of playing on some of the B-sides for the singles for that album. Also, I think, took part in what turned out to be their only John Peel session. Uh, that's right, yeah. I'm Peel makes a good comment in the uh, the chatter between the tracks, really, in that he says he wasn't going to talk about this, but some people have been in touch. He's saying, if I hadn't told you it was Pet Shop Boys, if I just said it was, and I can't remember what he says, some esoteric made up band name, you know, you'd all be raving about it. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, it's, a, it's a great session. Yeah. And some significant live things as well. You that um that live eight in Moscow. Moscow, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was great. Yeah. And you can see bits of that on, on YouTube. Just as with the other things that, that you've played on, I think it's, it's instantly recognisably you're playing on it, really. Yeah. You know, even though it's it's taking part in their songs. Yeah. Well, when, when I first w worked with them in the first rehearsals, I was really far more wary about it than playing with Spiritualized or Spaceman or anything like that. Because I just thought, how am I going to fit in? I know nothing about electronics. I thought I was going to have to sync my guitar up to a computer and get it midified and all that sort of thing because they were so part of that electronic pop thing I thought how a guitar is going to fit in this even though I knew that Johnny Marr had played on their latest album mm -hmm. um, I still hadn't uh, heard the the songs that you know that they would had done on that but I, I did uh, a couple of weeks beforehand I got a CD of, of the songs that we were to be re to, uh, rehearsing for this tour and that gave, gave me a bit of uh, a better picture of uh, what I was meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. And between the two of us, me and Vic, we worked out uh, beforehand the different parts that we'd play. Vic was going to play more of the, the lead kind of stuff. And I would play the, 
the simpler, more chord-orientated stuff. It, it wasn't as cut and dried as that, but that was kind of like our game plan. And um, I, I needn't have worried because uh, Neil and Chris, they are just, you know, fantastic people to work for. They are, they are very specific taskmasters, but um, they basically said, well, I would play along, and if they liked the sound of it, they just went, yeah, that's great. If they didn't, they'd say, oh, don't do that. It was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were given, to a certain extent, quite free reign to play along and do what we wanted to do, uh, unless they specifically asked for something. But uh, I remember playing along to, I can't remember which song, but I was doing something which I thought worked really well. And Neil just went, no, no, stop. No, we don't like that. No, that doesn't work. I went, okay. No, yeah, not a problem. Mm-hmm. But it, by and large, it, it was just not easy, but I fitted in uh, musically. No, super. I, I think they're um, really important English band of, of yeah, you know, the last however long it is, forty years or so. Yeah. Um, I think so, and I think Neil's a, a really clever lyricist as well. Yeah, uh, fa- fanta- fantastic people to work for. Great senses of humour. It's such a laugh. Uh, I remember uh, Neil said to me, uh, how, "How how do we pronounce your name, Mark? Is it <laughs> is it Refoy or Refoy?" Uh, and I said, uh, "Well." If you're my mum answering the phone, it's Refoy. But if you went to school with me in the 70s, it's uh, Refoy. <laughs> and he went, Refoy it is. <laughs> we were doing a gig in, uh, in Leicester and uh, at the Encores, and Neil always introduced each member of the band. And uh, just before he came to me, Chris swiveled round in his chair and he, and he just went, Refoy? Refoy? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned then that that came out of um, the contact you'd had with Vanessa and uh, Sunshine Valley Dance Band. Uh, I was lucky enough to see you playing at one time in the early 2000s at some strange venue in London that took ages to find. It was in the middle of that junction um, Yeah, it, in North London somewhere. It was bizarre. Yeah. I, can't, I remember the gig, but I can't remember the name of the venue. But um, I remember thinking you, you sort of delineated the, the sounds that you were after in that and also Slipstream, who you were still doing at the time. I remember you having a couple of um, different websites in early days of the internet with a few demos that we could download. And although um, you didn't release anything with that band, we did have some demos to enjoy, some of which you later repurposed as Slipstream songs and uh, also a cover Um which I think I'll pass over to Mark. Uh, yeah, I was I was surprised you did that cover of uh, West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. Um, and when I played the three songs from uh, Sunshine Valley Dance Band, when that suddenly popped up, uh, I mean, my jaw dropped because most people have no idea who those guys are, although that mm. song did appear on an animated soundtrack a couple of years ago, uh, I think called Isle of Dogs or it's called something like that, Dog Island, Isle of Dogs, something like that, a kind of uh, stop-start, stop-motion um animated thing uh but uh, yeah well my my jaw hit hit the floor when i when i heard that it's always been one of my favorite tunes have you have you been a big fan of theirs or was it just that that song uh, that popped out it was that song that popped out because round about that time uh i was introduced to it by a mutual friend and he said i'll oh, play play this i think you'll like this and uh yeah i loved it straight away it's it's a kind of one-off is it there's no yeah. other song quite like it yeah exactly and um and I bought an album of, their, uh, of theirs, which, uh, hang on, let me see if I've got it at hand. Uh, I know it's here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
right behind be groovy or leave quite weirdly <laughs> um yeah it's this this one west coast experimental pop-up band oh but, yeah that's uh that's a that's a kind of reissue of the of the first album isn't it which is worth yeah. about thousands of dollars for that's original right, copy. Yeah. but the versions of um very different on that version yeah, of that, you? it's very different totally different uh so I, I i don't think i've got the uh the version on on record that made me want to cover it but it, yeah, it was suggested to me by a friend at the time and uh and I said to uh, Vanessa and Andy, and I think Johnny was there as well in the studio at the time. And they all said, yeah, 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 that's a good tune. Yeah, so we, we did it there and then on my uh, old, uh, I had a digital recorder at the time, a Roland workstation. And we just did it on that. There's no bass on it. There's just me with my Epiphone Casino. Wow. And Tony did this drone on the synth all the way through it. And uh, Vanessa did a bit of backing harmonies. And to be honest, we didn't think anything of it. I put it up on SoundCloud a few years ago and it's got like about 5,000 plays. <laughs> Whereas my other stuff has <laughs> got nowhere near. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, quite a turn up for the books really, that song, yeah. No, it's a great song. There was another one from that session, was there, which you did later on as a Slipstream track that uh, maybe next time. I think that kind of follows the uh, little series of sort of stomping dance floor fillers, which you did around uh, well, well, yeah. a, few, a few of those kind of big opening tracks. Yeah. But I mean, the Sunshine Valley dance band version of that is, uh, is, is certainly impressive. I think we did that with one of Vanessa's friends, Mick, Mick Terry, who I think produced Ultrasound. Uh, and he went, he went on to work with other people. Um, uh, the guitarist from Sway, who left Sway, Bernard Butler, and people like that. And Nick, Nick knew his way around the studio. And I think we did that version of Maybe Next Time. Oh, no, 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 no. We did that in Woodbine. I think the version that you're, that you're referencing is the one we did at Woodbine. Well, I guess tying in with the time that you were both doing that and also time in Pet Shop Boys meant that there was a, a, a break in in Slipstream's activities mm. because um, Be Groovy or Leave comes out in 97 and the next time we get an album is uh, not until 2003 when Transcendental comes out and as I've been made very aware recently that was largely not stuff that you had been working on at that time a lot of that was stuff that you've been stockpiling over the years yeah. as well yeah. i have to say that really surprised me when i discovered that because i've always felt it sounds like a really cohesive album i um, think so wow and it flows uh, it flows so well well until very recently i would definitely have had it as as my favorite i i just think it's it's wonderful some of the sounds on 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 some of them are um are extraordinary i'm a massive fan of just you and me uh, i know that we're both very fond of, of Midnight Train as well. Oh, that's and, just fabulous, true. Yeah. And uh, no, it's just got a, a great atmosphere, really. I know that you'd started touring again for the odd date around that time. But by this point, it's yourself and Johnny is is really the, the core of what there is. Yeah, because the, the band Slipstream kind of like fizzled out, really. And um, once I'd done the work with Pet Shop Boys, I thought, you know, might as well you know reactivate slipstream but i wanted to do it just on a, on a, a more not quieter but a smaller setup so me and johnny just agreed it would just be the two of us and um even though we uh subsequently over the years we've played with uh, band members uh, since 
it's it's just the core of me and Johnny, and probably always will be, you know. But uh, Transcendental, because uh, that was released by um, Enraptured, uh, it got a bit of you know attention and uh, reviews and that. So that's what gave me the impetus to restart Slipstream, but just with myself and Johnny. We, 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 as you, you said, you just said we started touring. We never really toured. We've only just done one-off dates. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's just been like word of mouth, and most more often than not, in all that. Uh, yeah, Transcendental was a, a collection of demos and uh, home demos, port studio demos, and songs that we had done in uh, Woodbine, which we couldn't fit onto Be Groovy or Leave. Well, yeah. it's it's bookended, of course, with those two different versions of everything and anything. Uh, the demo single version, which uh, Jack had put out uh, a few years earlier, and uh, that ended up being used, of course, in the TV series Ideal uh, as the first of a few tracks that's there. Hello, everyone listening. This is Ian doing a little bit that I'm dropping in after the interview. What's happening at this point is that we're playing Mark a a little piece which I'd recorded the previous night with Graham Duff, who is the author, amongst many other things, of the TV series Ideal, which used several pieces of slipstream music. I couldn't announce that before Mark had seen it because I wanted to surprise him with it. So, just for clarity, the next voice you're going to hear is Graham Duff. In the late 90s, I was DJing on a late night show in Brighton called Totally Wired, which is still still going to this day, although I, I don't present it. And um, at that time, I was, I was, I'd been into Spaceman 3. I had not all their albums, but I'd Playing With Fire, Perfect Prescription, um, uh, Taking Drugs To Make Music To <laughs> Take Drugs To, and, and a few of the singles and stuff. So I was definitely a fan, but I wasn't like a completist. Uh, and then I'd seen Sonic Boom play live a few times doing his more sort of abstracted stuff. I'd seen Spiritualized a couple of times, including at, at Glastonbury and so on. Um, and I'd, I'd even played Lupine Howell on the on my radio show as well. I don't know how many people can say that. But, um, and I was aware of Spiritualized, uh, sorry, I was aware of Slipstream, but I hadn't heard them. And then there was a guy called Jack Trevelyan who ran a couple of labels, Enraptured and Endorphin. And I'd played a couple of his things. And he sent me, he had a batch of, I think, six singles he was releasing all at once by several different artists. And they were all pretty good. I think Jack had excellent taste. But the one that absolutely leapt out at me was uh, Slipstream's uh, Everything and Anything. And I don't know how many times I must have played it on, on, on the show. And I just, and it just lodged in my mind as being like a, like a classic track, really. I think it's a classic melody, beautifully sung, beautifully artistic articulated and very subtle as well which I think uh, as some of the um, spiritualized stuff has edged towards sometimes being a bit bombastic uh, you know not necessarily in a bad way I think Slipstream have, have got more subtle and more nuanced and more varied in, in their approach and I really admire them for that um, but anyway I, I, I love this song and it just it's it was one I still regularly played and I put it on mixtapes for people and so on and then um, in sort of the early noughties when I started doing my show uh, Ideal for BBC Three, which was about a, a drug dealer starring uh, Johnny Vegas, I was in charge, I, well, I put myself in charge of, of, of uh, choosing all the soundtrack music and it was one of the greatest pleasures of, of the whole project really. And um, I knew that I wanted to use that tune in, in some capacity on there. Uh, and it ended up being used in a very direct way in that um, Johnny's character Moz put it on to seduce uh, a, a girl that he was really into and was like pretending to sing along with us. So it was, it wasn't, 
Um, well, as you may know, in, in cinema and film, there's different types of music. There's diegetic and non-diegetic. And diegetic is stuff that's happening within the story, whereas non-diegetic is, is stuff that's, that's the soundtrack that's added for the audience. And stuff. But it was, it was diegetic, it was right in there. So he was referring to it, he was putting it on, saying, oh, you're gonna love this, and so Which I thought was a nice tribute to, to a really lovely song. And I got, the scene got a great response, and Johnny loved the tune, and it, it was just, it was great, really. And I, I, I carried on really using um, using more uh, slipstream music in the series just because it's so good, it's so atmospheric. Uh, some of it, um, I'm sure Mark wouldn't mind me saying this, but some of it really reminds me of Popol Vuh, which I think is a, is a big influence on on Mark. And of course, that's very cinematic, very soundtrack like music. So um, I think after the Fall and Coil, they're the band I, I use the most music of on, on the show. Um, there's a track called Zuma Wave, which which I used on a few occasions. It looks absolutely beautiful, um, and uh, and it was weird because Mark got in touch at one point and said, "Oh, I've got this track. I want to I want to play you." Because by that stage, I'd met Mark and I'd met Johnny, and I thought they were really nice guys, and I'd been to see them live and so on. So we got on and we sort of like we were in contact. He said, "I'll send you this track," and so he sent me this track called Psycho Paul. Uh, which was about the character Psycho Paul in, in Ideal, although that, the only lyrics I think are, are Psycho Paul, but it was a great tune and I played it to death and I just thought, I can't not have this in the show. And so in the end I had um, the character of Psycho Paul singing a lot, lip syncing with, with the track. So again, it was, it was that thing of, of like, not just using the music, but making the music integral to, to the action that was happening in, in, the, uh, in the show. And um, yeah, I still, I still listen to their stuff now. I'm still excited whenever Mark says, uh, oh, got some new tracks to, to play. I'm always thrilled and I always find, you know, it's all good, but there's always two or three tracks in any, on any um, Slipstream album or, or bunch of demos. I think, oh, wow. You know, and they, they recently, uh, more recently, they did a, a cover of, um, uh, that Daniel Johnson track, okay, is, it, is it True Love? Is it called True Love Will Find You in the End? And I just thought, this is the best version of this I've ever heard. You know, and plenty of people have done versions of it, but I just thought, no, this is the definitive version, certainly better than the original for my money. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think their music's great. I think Mark and Johnny are both incredibly talented uh, people. And, and, you know, obviously um, they both played with lots of other people as well. I mean. If you took away Slipstream and Spiritualized and Spaceman 3 from, from Mark's uh, CV, you'd still be left with a, 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 an impressive list of achievements. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm honored to consider them, them friends and I, I love the music. I'm gonna stop gushing now. <laughs> so sorry to spring that on you as a, a bit of a surprise there. Not at all, uh, oh, Graham. You mentioned Zuma Wave, that's an absolute killer. Uh, such a gorgeous tune that was uh, there was a time when I was obsessed with listening to uh, Judy Sill uh, I don't know if you've heard of Judy Sill I the, the, uh, American uh, singer-songwriter she, she wrote uh, probably if you are aware of her you will have been uh, aware of a song that she did called The Kiss which was on um the old grey whistle test back in the way back in the seventies. Anyway, there was a, a time for a few years that all I listened to was Judy Sill. I was completely obsessed with her with her music, and uh, apparently there was a there was a picture of her on a beach called Zuma Zuma Beach somewhere in California, and she was waving at the photographer. And I thought, oh yeah, Zuma wave that'll do. 
because I'm crap at getting song titles and I thought mm -hmm. that will do for that one. <laughs> Graham used a, a few of your other tracks as well and um, Psycho Paul's got to be the standout one because it integrates so well into uh, yeah. what's going on at that time but other nice atmospherics one or two that haven't appeared on any album so I don't know if were you still writing them with the hope that they'd be good for him to use or were they just some of your demos and, and ideas? Gra Graham would always get in touch and say I really like such and such a song. Can I use it in Ideal? And uh, I was absolutely blown away that that he would, you know, do that. Uh, and to this day, I'm just so <laughs> blown away by that. Well, I think we need treading a slightly fine line here, not wanting to make it sound like we're just being like super sycophantic to someone who's been kind enough to come on and talk to us. But um, I know that both of us will very much encourage people who haven't done so yet to check things out i mean i think there's Indeed. no doubt about it if it weren't for the fact that there's a spaceman 3 and spiritualized connect connection i most certainly would never have come across your other music and probably wouldn't have listened to it but i'm so glad that that has happened because there is a huge amount which is so accomplished and i think it's around this time the time that those things first appear in ideal and the time that you've reactivated things with yourself and Johnny that I think it, it really kicks in I mean it's not like I don't like those early albums I think they're, they're fantastic and like I said at Transcendental had, had been my favorite up to that point but mm. then when you come back in 2008 with Mantra a couple of things I think that have happened firstly presumably from your contact with Pet Shop Boys and with um, Pete Gerhill the production takes a, a different turn yeah, but also I, I wonder if this is the some of the ideas that you had left over from Sunshine Valley Dance Band that that on there you've got a bit more straightforward in the songwriter way I suppose in a way similar to to Brie Groovy or Lee but it seems a bit more dynamic I and mean, something like Burn Till You Die. Well, well, when when I was in Pet Shop Boys uh, in about I think this was about oh four oh five um, there was a guy who worked for them called Bob Krauser who was a a genius mixer, arranger, producer. And um, he, he offered to uh, mix one of my tracks uh, because he was uh, moving to a new studio and he, he wanted something to work on just to get a feel for his studio. So I said, uh, yeah, great, thanks, Bob. And um, he used uh, the track Burn Till You Die. And uh, his mix appeared on Mantra. And um, I subsequently asked him if he wanted to mix uh, future tracks, uh, but he, he wasn't able to. So uh, we were rehearsing for um, Live 8, and Pete was asking me about um, how the mixing was going, Bob Krauser. I said, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, he mixed Burn Till You Die, but, uh, you know, we're not, not, he's not going to do any more. You know, I haven't got the time or the money at the moment. And he offered then and there to, to mix our stuff. So... Uh, the next time we were free, uh, I went down to his studio in London. Uh, I, I brought my old laptop at the time uh, and, and Pete mixed what became the Mantra album. And uh, it, it's really Pete who has completely transformed the sound of what, of what Slipstream were doing at the time. And he, he's able to, he's got this real uh, vision of what a track could sound like. And he will take like the, the raw version that I've done, which I thought was a, was a pretty good version of tracks. Mm. And he will take them and he will be very brutal about them. He, he, and he'll cut things out, edit them and uh, mix them, arrange them, but still keep to the, the basic feel of the original. 
and uh, it, it just peps it up and makes it uh, better you know yeah i mean i completely agree i think it's from from that from mantra onwards there's just an extra level of polish on things really yeah. it just sounds a lot fuller you, you know the songs were always there before but it's just great to feel hear them being given a chance to uh, to make more of an impression really yeah. and that's a relationship that's still carrying on till today oh, isn't it ongoing yeah with pete yeah he, he, he's a genius he's a full-on genius he, he just not he knows his studio inside out he knows how to make a sound jump out of the speakers and uh he, he's got such a a knowledge of a vast knowledge of electronic music and uh he's a fantastic dj as well and uh, uh i mean uh, graham mentioned that uh cover of um the daniel johnson song mm-hmm. uh, true love will find you in the end i i have this image in my head of that song i think it's a great song i i'm not really as much of a massive fan of daniel johnson as well i i, I I don't know what I mean when I'm saying that. I am a fan of Daniel Johnson, but I, I, perhaps not so much of the mythologizing which is built yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. That's what I'm trying to get across. Uh, and that particular song, I thought it, it lends itself to having a real upbeat Motown almost vibe, Phil Spector sort of uh, mm-hmm. feel. So I did my version of it, my demo, and uh, and then Pete perfected it and even more. In, in that way mm. because I heard I heard lots of versions of that song where there's this uh, very almost like you know hushed reverence oh yeah yeah oh yeah this song oh yeah yeah but I thought nah nah pep it up you know make it into a full of life you know and uh, mm. not that there's anything wrong with those other versions at all it's just my take on it and uh, yeah well it's it's got a lot a lot of people have got a lot of different things out of that are you aware that you are the third third member of Spaceman 3 to have made a version <laughs> Oh really? Pete Kemba <laughs> put it out as a single in '92. I, I, I did. I did uh, Pete, Pete, yeah, Pete's done a version, hasn't he? Yeah. I don't think I've heard Pete's version. I saw Jason do a version of it live. Yeah, Jason did it live in his acoustic tour yeah. as well, uh, yeah. which I could imagine perhaps being the one you have in mind when people being reverential, because that was uh... no, it was a, it was actually a version by somebody else. It might have been Wilco. I've heard someone else play that live, and I'm now scratching my head trying to remember who. I remember them saying, you'll never have heard this before. I thought, well, I've got two versions of it by other bands at home. As I say, Mantra feels uh, like it's 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 very song-based. And then when you come back in 2013 with Stereo Brain Mono Heart, there are mm. some things like that on there, like the opener and a few other things later on. But there's also a bit of a return to those atmospheric ones. We've already talked a bit about Zuma Wave. And uh, Mark and I, I think, would both agree that this has been our biggest uh, surprising discovery lately. Because when I was playing all the albums in the background while writing up notes and thinking about what we were going to talk about, um, it's a few weeks ago now. So I was thinking, there's a little bit in the middle of this album which is working exceptionally oh. well. And suddenly realized it's that little uh, run of, of Zuma Wave into Teledrone, into Fly. Uh, which is just absolutely magnificent. Inspired For sequencing. Who hasn't really. heard these things and and is thinking about anything of, of Mark's that might be worth checking out. I would strongly recommend this album and that little sequence in particular. I mean, there are other things as well. I think the thing about those ones is that they are the ones with that um, vaguely droney feel and the fact that they run together makes it. It's mm. There are other things of, of similar nature on there, but they're separated out of it as well. Mm. These ones have that perfect kind of rotational 
find a really really cool area with a really nice vibe and just stick at it because it sounds that good and those all those three tracks demonstrate that beautifully i think there's another one further on actually with uh where you could have actually stuck it to it with the uh, aurora being a similar kind of thing oh, which is just yeah, yeah. irresistible just so gorgeous those tunes Oh, that's great thanks mark thank you and although it's um a bit more uh up tempo and there's certainly a, a thumping beat underneath it as well uh attention feels like it could be sort of part of that as well that's got a, a really uh, good yeah. is that sampled the um vaguely robotic voice over that or was that something you, that was recorded for you it sounds like it's an american accent oh. with the attention I, music I, I, I think it's Pete treating my voice. Oh, right. I think, yeah. Uh, there's echoes of the whole Kraftwerk robotic voice thing, well, which yeah. I, I thought I'd just like, you know, try and do for a laugh. Not for a laugh, but it just fitted, you know. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> well, for anyone who is thinking about changing something out, that would be my recommendation for where to start. And of course, a lot of uh, that is um i think the whole of that album is available on your soundcloud i know not everything you've done is but yeah. that is they're so all on itunes and uh oh right of course on, on spotify and the like yeah That's apple music and spotify yeah, yeah. yeah bit of youtube in there as well i've sent a couple of those uh, links to people just saying you really if, if you've not listened to any slipstream before this is this is the perfect introduction uh, right thanks and then the last album that's been released as uh, 2017's uh, Out of the Blue. Again, much more back to um, your song-based things and uh, a, a good variety of things. It's a very long album, but maybe that's just because I'm used to, because that one and uh, Surya Brain Mono Heart have, mm. are only available by download. Mm. So um, it may be the fact that I'm just used to listening to the download. I only realised lately that the last few tracks are described as being extra tracks. It doesn't feel like there's a distinction when you're listening to it through there. Interesting extra tracks and, and some uh, unusual cover versions. I can't Ooh. believe that there's uh, anyone else who would have... Um, <laughs> covered blue moon and then turned it into a suicide street baby trip <laughs> brilliant yeah inspired yeah it, it just just happened like that you know <laughs> the, the the two seemed to complement each other uh -huh. at that tempo and uh yeah it, it worked yeah i mean for for a modern audience for for people, I mean, all of us are of, of a sort of age where we can talk about the kids, the next generation on, they will be used to consuming almost all of their music digitally anyway. So what's your attitude to the fact that those last couple of albums are only digital? Because is it not just our generation that have got a hankering for having a physical product? Uh, good question. Well, if, <laughs> if I had a record deal, they wouldn't just be just digital. <laughs> right. There would be, you know, vinyl editions as well. But uh, will there always be vinyl? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think there's more of a chance of vinyl having a longer life than other physical formats like CD, etc. I, I mean, I like CDs. I, I, mm -hmm. uh, I like vinyl. I don't really prefer one to the other. But if I want sonic perfection, then I suppose a digital file is what you want to listen to. But the whole process of getting a record and holding it and owning it and uh, taking it out. It, that whole artifact process is uh, something that I think will carry on, you know. Mm -hmm. 
That's yeah. important to a lot of us still. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because with Out of the Blue, when you got uh, you got Anthony Ausgang to do the cover, that would just look so cool as a big slam of vinyl. Uh, I, yeah, I would love that to be on a. That's a great, great slip. How, how did you come to get him to do it? I think he's a a, a, a contact of mine on uh, like social media, etc. And uh, and I saw his artwork and the stuff he'd done for Pete mm. and, and MGMT, and I thought. Well, it's a shot in the dark. I might as well ask him, and um, and he was well up for it. And uh, yeah. he, I he, ordered a ten-inch rim or something, and he did a little doodle on some of the packaging inside. It's like, oh, it's my own little Anthony Asking original drawing there. Yeah, fantastic. It's just a, yeah. He's really cool. Yeah, he's a fantastic uh, artist. Great guy. Yeah, I've never met him, but you know, he, he's a lovely. He seems comes across like a, such a genuine guy. You know. They're enormous, the canvases he does as well, the couple I've seen. I mean, I'm That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, those last couple stuff. of Slipstream albums, um, I mean, Johnny's uh, input has, has gone up a bit as well because there are some which um, he's singing on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny's a great songwriter in his own right. Well, I was going to say, I mean, how, how does it work between you? Um, do you come along with your own ideas or do things develop between uh, you or do you do any co-writing? Johnny will have almost a completed song and he'll, he'll present it to me. And depending on how it will fit into the two of us, then it all depends on, on how we work on it. Like, uh, he'll come around my place and he, he, he'll have sent me the files of the song. So I'll, I'll boot it up on Logic or whatever. And if, if, if we're playing along and it's working, and Johnny is, is, is a great barometer for if, if something's working or not, and uh, we, t we don't tend to vocalise much. We just play along and uh, if it works, then it's like, oh, yeah, great. Or if it doesn't, it's like, no, try something else or, or, or whatever. But jo Johnny's the kind of guy who can, uh, if, if I play him something that I'm doing, he knows in an instant how to make it better. Or, uh, and his suggestions, even if they are like, oh, make it sound more like a Kraftwerk beat. And then, oh, yeah. That, that will work or, or it will suggest like uh, I'll shorten the intro or uh, or change the keyboard sound it's just these off-the-cuff remarks which completely change uh, a feel uh, to a song that 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 is an aspect of Johnny's genius and um, as well as him writing his own songs as well so some of the stuff he, he does uh, he does with his other projects bands etc uh, and, and he finds that that, that that is a better forum for uh, some of the songs he's writing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we have an almost uh, telepathic uh, communication sometimes about uh, music and when we're doing stuff. He's a fantastic guy to work with and, uh, you know, he's a friend as well, so all good. It sounds like that's the kind of recipe that you've, that you've used for a long time to kind of rather than sit down and write the individual parts and try and mash them together is to actually just sit and see how it sounds and then tweak and yeah. nurture right. and nudge and yeah, that's the rest exactly of it. Right, yeah. And it works. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, Graham Duff was saying earlier was a suggestion that if um, we didn't even consider 
your work with Spaceman 3 Spiritualized Slipstream, there'd still be impressive stuff to to enjoy. And we've talked a bit about the time with Pet Shop Boys, but you have um, guested on, on all sorts of people's records. I mean, uh, I just the ones that I'm aware of, which I'm sure doesn't cover everything. Of course, you keeping it Spaceman related, you played a little bit on um, the second Free Love Babies album on Will Carruthers' project yeah. there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've seen you some of these more recently than others who played on um single by uh, lucigenic uh, she robot um yeah. the munros paul roderick uh, morning face uh, a lot of, not all of them but some many of them have uh, in collaboration with um mike bennett. mike bennett yeah how did you first meet mike uh, because i've recorded at far heath studios and the guy who runs that angus he called me one day and he said oh i've got this guy here called mike bennett i mean he needs some guitar on a track. Uh, do you fancy coming along and doing it? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And um, turns out that Mike used to manage The Fall. He took The Fall to uh, Far Heath where they did uh, uh, some recordings and that's how he got to know Angus. Over the years, uh, Mike has asked me to play on various bands and projects that he's been involved with. And yeah, so that's how my connection with Mike has uh, started and developed. Uh, Mike is a very sort of a uh, maverick ideas man and a uh, bit of a nutter really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> a great pop music historian and appreciator. And uh, he was, he had something to do with Kim Fowley. He worked with Kim Fowley at some point. He said it nearly fried his brain, but I think that's informed a lot of his uh, musical ideas and uh, production methods it certainly led to you appearing on um, a real variety of, of different things um some of them still quite current on there i think the lucigenic one's quite a, a recent uh... yeah yeah yet again an, another band from manchester that because uh, mike lives in manchester because mm-hmm. he, he's uh, also uh, a friend of simon wolsoncroft who used to play in the fall yeah the drummer in the fall and uh, so Simon, uh, he's played on the Lucigenic uh, single as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and he's also written a, a fantastic book. Hasn't he just? Yes. Yeah. Uh, drum But You Can't Hide is, uh, is, yeah. Yeah. Been, it is now available again. There was a time when it was out of print, but now it's back and I strongly recommend people uh, yeah. enjoy yeah. that. Really also, he's um, been doing a lot of very in- amusing um lockdown videos when he wants right. bits yeah. of Manchester and other yeah. places and yeah. gives little histories associated with them. It's interesting you mentioned Kim Fowley there, Mark. He uh, he was instrumental in the formation of the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band by yes. the main guy, Bob Markley, who the, I'm sure you've read about his rather dodgy uh, interests and elsewhere, but uh, he was the one who was introduced to them. And then, yeah, the less is kind of history, he sort of took them on and everything else, but... I don't know if Kim Fowley was dodgy, but Bob Markley certainly was. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I noticed uh, talking about sort of modern collaborations and the current um, generation of artists is that you um, mixed uh, Damien Smiler's 2020 Club, uh, Mm. which is on SoundCloud. I mean, do you think Internet is is a a future of collaboration and self-releases in that respect? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Although that that contact with Damien initially came out of uh, a mutual friend of mine who now lives and works in London. And he called me up and he said, uh, oh, Mark, there's a a young guy who's a son of a friend of mine. And he's a big fan of Spiritualized and Pet Shop Boys. Would you fancy mixing one of his tracks? 
and uh, I'm in no way a professional mixer or arranger, so like somebody like Pete Gledel is. But I just do my own thing, you know, on on my computer at home. And uh, and Damien liked what I did, and uh, I, I think it, yeah, it turned out well. And to answer your question, yeah, that is very much the future. That kind. Of, I mean, I've never met Damien. Don't know if I ever will, but I've worked with him and mm. I've worked on his stuff. And uh, and we did a similar kind of like Zoom kind of like meeting where I talked through the through the track with him, and uh, he he asked me to do certain things on it uh, in the mix and etc. So yeah, it's 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 revolutionised really the whole uh, working collaborative process, you know, uh, in music. I, I, I mean, for the best, I think. Well, on the subject of SoundCloud. Uh, you have a, a large amount of slipstream material uh, which uh, has been put up over the last few years, which doesn't appear on on any uh, releases yet. Mm. What are your um, have you got plans for the future with slipstream? Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. Um, we we've got enough tracks now for another album, uh, which I'm thinking of calling Slip Tones. It's just a case of lockdown permitting. If if I the next time I can hook up with Pete. And we can sequence the album together and decide which tracks that we want to put on it and uh, which some tracks might need remixing or a little tinkering with, etc. But the, the, kind, the whole lockdown thing kind of like put the mockers on that. I am meeting up with Pete next week because uh, he, he coincidentally enough has uh, relatives in Northampton. So hopefully we'll discuss something like that, how we will do, uh, do the next album. Uh, but a lot of a lot of the stuff I put up on SoundCloud is um, just demos that I've done at home, uh-huh. which I I think will work. Some of them Pete actively says uh, no, can't work on that one, etc. And uh, but that doesn't stop me from still just putting the the demos up there. Well, whether we'd agree with him or not, it's, I guess it's good to have someone being your independent quality control. Uh, <laughs> yes, there exactly. is. Uh, and they're still there for us to enjoy if he doesn't go any further with them. So. <laughs> well, look, we will definitely be looking forward to anything that comes out next. And uh, it's great that we've already got so much to enjoy. And I hope some people will be encouraged to uh, investigate Indeed. some of it after our talks. There is one funny anecdote which uh, has just come to mind, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was walking up to my uh, my parents' house. Oh, this must have been about six or seven or eight years ago. And um, there was this uh, guy on the same street that my parents live. And he was up a ladder working on his house, doing some painting or something. And I was walking past and he shouted down. He said, oh, Mark. I said, oh, all right, Paul. How you doing? He said, I've just heard you on the radio. I said, what are you talking about? This was like in the afternoon in, uh, in the week, midweek, about three o'clock or something. He said, yeah, uh, it's the Chris Evans show on the radio. And he's just done this uh, uh, competition, not a competition, but just like a, a, a question that he wants people to uh, find the link to. And the, and the question was, what is the link between Spiritualized and Pet Shop Boys? <laughs> And I thought, wow, what are the odds of me walking past at that particular moment in time and him being up his window, just hearing that on the radio? Because if I hadn't have heard him say it, there's no way I would have heard about that. And, uh, it, it reminds uh, me of uh, going back to brilliant. Simon Wilsoncroft, the, the, the motivation he had for uh, getting round to writing his book was when he was the answer to a question on Mastermind. 
<laughs> the question was who was the original drummer with the smiths yeah <laughs> and uh, the guy got it right as well so and uh, i think that's what what kicked it off on that one yeah. <laughs> i remember seeing somebody on university challenge once uh she's like a modern day celebrity or well-known person and they were, were doing this uh version of university challenge where people like that were the teams mm-hmm. uh, in ex-oxbridge alumni or something like that and there was a picture of her in her younger days wearing the angel and devil t-shirt of uh, you know laser guided melodies era <laughs> well mark thank you so much for all the time you've given us over not only today for this last part of the interview but all the things we've done previously um we found it absolutely fascinating i hope some other people have as well but um you know it's been a great chat and we look forward enormously to uh seeing some new material in the future so thank you very much yeah thanks thanks Thanks, mark yeah it's a pleasure yeah thanks a lot well, enormous thanks again to Mark for all the time he spent with us. I think that's a, a really interesting part of the interview. And I must also say, uh, this sort of got lost in the middle of the conversation, but massive thanks as well to Graham Duff, who uh, uh, no notice at yeah. all uh, responded to the request of some random or off the internet to come on and have a chat about Mark. And uh, I think that, that fitted in extremely well. His comments actually made me go and seek out some of the uh, bits and bobs that he was talking about. And indeed, Slipstream's version of True Love Will Find You in the end is very different to other cover versions you might have heard of that and uh, does exactly what mark says it would do with a yeah. little bit of kind of upbeat more of a kind of a sort of a flowery feel right it's just i, I just think it's a lovely version it is lovely and it's great that we've got the contrast in the three different spaceman related versions yeah. i mean i think it would be hard for anyone to displace uh, my preference for the spectrum version but that's not really a fair comparison because it's part of that my favorite spectrum era from mm my favourite post-Spaceman 3 solo album. Anything that's that, that sort of Soul Kiss era is uh, always going to score very highly, and I do think that, that Pete did a great job uh, with that version. But yeah, Slipstreams is a, is a great alternative uh, way of, of dealing with it. Yeah, well, I certainly never heard it done like that before, so thumbs up for me. <laughs> He's very recently, actually, put on a, a cover with the same sort of tempo and feel to it, of I Can See Clearly. Oh, I heard that too. <laughs> and That's it, also very upbeat. I hope Mark won't mind me saying, because we didn't uh, talk about this during the interview, but I, I chatting with him about it separately, he said to me, oh yeah, I wouldn't normally have, have covered that sort of thing. But my sister had a dream saying that she dreamt that I, I'd covered it, so I had to. <laughs> to which I replied, Mark Reefer, the man who makes dreams come true. So... Uh, yeah, well, what a great experience that's been for us. We've really enjoyed every part of that, and I hope that... Well, that was meant to be one interview. We, uh, uh, I know. Yeah, so fascinating. We, we started off doing the first bit and realising how long we'd gone on for, and we were chatting at the end saying, oh, well, we're going to have to split it into two, and then realising we hadn't even <laughs> got the last bit, anything post-spiritualised done. And uh, we were all set to do that when suddenly it was, oh, can we go back and talk about pure phase? And... <laughs> that filled we could have gone on longer on that as well yeah (laughs) something uh, else that came out you were saying mark about going to check out some of um graham duff's things but we noticed that he's recently set up a label uh you were looking at the the seven inches put out so far talk about lavishly packaged i mean it's uh it's a it is a beautiful thing sadly only 100 copies completely sold out but it is actually worth going and looking at uh at the at the website to see how beautifully he's actually done these and hopefully there'll be there'll be some more in the pipeline 
but I, I'm sure you can add a link to that, Ian. Yeah, the label's called Heaven's Lather. I shall put a link to it. It's Bandcamp page. Uh, as you say, that that is, I think this has been the one seven inch so far. Uh, yeah, 100 copies. You're not going to get one of those. But it's interesting that he has left the music itself up as a free download. So that's if right. you're interested in just listening to it, that's going to be something you can do anyway. Oh, no, it looks absolutely lovely. I mean, uh, lots of people are doing these um, special vinyl pressings. But this one really does look like that he's gone to town on, on the whole look and feel of it. It's lovely. It does. Okay, well, uh, next time we will be back to just chatting some Spaceman 3 nonsense, probably just the, the two of us again. Um, it's been great to do an interview, and I hope we'll get some more before too much longer, but for the sake of having a bit of variety and giving everyone a bit of a breather, we'll just get back to doing a bit of nattering about that. We'll probably also go back to what was our original plan of a monthly schedule rather than every couple of weeks. We wanted to get the interview out in fairly quick succession so that um, it didn't take up a, a big chunk of a year. But until then, we've been Spaceman Pod. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>